0: Amendments are on the side of thwarting the yeah. referendum result. Yeah. They are designed to undermine Britain's main negotiating card, which is our right to leave without having to make any more payments and accept any more laws or accept any instructions on our borders. The three things that the Leave voters I, I met in large numbers during the referendum campaign wanted taking control of our money and our borders and our laws. We have the right to do that on the 31st of October. And it is because we have that right. Yes, take control of our laws. It is because we have that right, and that is what we're arguing about today. And I'm explaining the, the extreme irony that this parliament that claims to believe in democracy is deliberately trying to thwart our democracy by denying the results of the democratic. Uh, decision made by the people, which we said was theirs to make, and trying to overturn the promises that many candidates in the general election of 2017 made, on the Labour side in particular, and they now seem to have forgotten, now they are members of Parliament.
1: Morning, glory, America. Bonjour, High, Canada. That was Member of Parliament, John Redwood. Laying it out, money, borders, and law. And there is no person better qualified in America, and I say that without qualification, I believe, than Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, to talk about what is a genuine constitutional crisis. In the history of Great Britain, this will go down as one of those moments like Robert Peel in, 19, in, in 1846, I believe it was, when Robert Peel split the Tory party. Dr. Larry Arne is with us. The Hillsdale Dialogue has begun. Dr. Arne, welcome. Do you agree with me that we are at one of those inflection points in British history that really oh, yeah. must be attended to? Yeah, when, you know, one,
2: one not unlikely thing is the reduction of the Tory party to third or fourth party in the state. It's just uh, you know it, it sort of depends because there are what 21 I think of the MPs who've been uh, the the Conservative whip has been withdrawn from them. Yes. In the rule, and what that means is the, the parties in Britain and in America too. The parties have whips and um, there's a majority whip and the minority whip, and they have sub whips. And the whips <laughs> that's what the name implies. Their job is to go around and whip the members and make sure they vote the way the party says. And so if you – in the rules, and I only know this by implication, it used to be that if the conservative central office and the prime minister and cabinet, if if the party was in the majority, wanted you out, they had to go talk to your local selection committee uh, to try to get you deselected. Neville Chamberlain tried to do that to Winston Churchill in 1938. And uh, now, from what they're saying in the press – the rule is that if they withdraw the whip, they cannot stand for election but as a conservative. That's just decisive, apparently. And I, my source for that is Churchill's grandson, Christopher Soames, who's one of the 21 who, was, who had his whip withdrawn. Is it
1: Christopher or I mean, Nicholas? Christopher. Okay. Uh, he was on, I've got a little tape of him. Because he was very good in the chamber. Boy, the Parliament is fun to listen to when they're going at it. Uh, oh, yeah. Churchill's grandson barking back at Boris Johnson, who's got my favor and approval. But I, you know, I admire Member of Parliament Soames as well. I know he's a friend of yours. Here is Soames yesterday, or two days ago, in the British Parliament, cut number ten.
0: I have always believed that the referendum result must be honoured, and indeed, i voted for the withdrawal agreement on every occasion that has been presented to the House, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is more than can be said for my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister the leader of the House and other members of the cabinet whose serial disloyalty has been such an inspiration to so many of us.
1: Your, ser- your serial disloyalty. That is a jab, Larry Arndt. Is, uh, is Christopher Soames your friend?
0: Uh,
2: I've met him. I don't know him. I, I know several of the grandchildren, but for some reason I don't know the Soames' grandchildren
1: very well. So this is a moment of great peril for Boris Johnson, and I think it is a moment where your famous phrase on this show, fundamental things are afoot, they're afoot in Hong Kong, they're afoot in the United States, they are afoot in Europe, and they are most certainly afoot in the United Kingdom. How much of this have you been breathing in this week?
2: (laughs) Well, more than I want, (laughs) Uh, although this British stuff is kind of fun, because... Boris Johnson is fun. He's uh, he's just resolute, and and uh, this you know because what the the events that have happened this week so far are that uh, the Parliament uh, uh, with the with the help of the speaker, who's one of the most colorful and probably unconstitutional speakers in British. I, I history, call
1: him the Aaron Burr of British politics to make it accessible to American audiences. Extraordinary the things he does.
2: Well, the point is they voted by a majority of 29 to forbid the prime minister from leaving on October 31 and to extend the deadline for three months. And so he, and that cuts, and see, if you just think about it, so before we explain the next thing, this thing is he's in negotiation with the European Union right now. And the only lever that he's got he's got, we're just going to walk away then. And what they've done is taken that out of his hands. And he he only has that lever because there's a deal that was negotiated, but the Parliament has never approved it. And when Christopher Selma says, by the way, that Boris Johnson has not voted for every withdrawal deal, that's a fact. And the reason is he doesn't like the one that Theresa May negotiated because it has some terrible features in it and would in fact mean that the European Union would continue to compromise the sovereignty of the British people. So so and Soames voted for all of those, right? And uh, and so so uh, he doesn't have anything. They took it and so the the natural remedy is that you now have an election. Nobody controls the Parliament in a sufficient way to make policy, which has, by the way, effectively been the case since the Brexit vote because Theresa May couldn't get anything through either. And so she did call an election, uh, and she didn't campaign about Brexit. She didn't make it a central thing in the campaign. And so what you got was a parliament that's somewhat confused on the issue because people didn't think that was an issue. They thought, we voted, it's going to happen. Well, it's not happening. So he wants another election. And then now another party rule comes into place. Because it used to be that if the cabinet and the prime minister consulted with the king and said, we want an election right now, they got it within three weeks. But in the, what is it called, the... uh,
1: Five-year parliament, fixed term.
2: Fixed-term parliament act, David Cameron, uh, Theresa May's predecessor and Theresa May's Boris Johnson's uh, uh, predecessor, as conservative leader and prime minister, he got an act through that said that a, such an election could only be called when there was a two-thirds majority for it. And that just seems to me like it's just a crazy thing because what provokes the calling of an election is that the government cannot uh, command a majority for its policies. Well, if it can't command a majority for its policies, who, who's to say that they can get two-thirds to call an election?
1: Now, Larry Arn, could he not? Boris Johnson has been confronted with an unconstitutional denial of the ability to control the agenda by Burkow, the aforementioned Burr of British politics, and he is now presented with a law that uh, asserts his inability to control the foreign affairs power, which has constitutionally always been residing within the prime minister and his cabinet. Might he not just as soon either pack the House of Lords with a thousand leave lords for life or might he do something even more radical that's actually been done before and say, I'm not going to do what you told me to do. I'm not going to do it.
2: He has hinted at both of those things. And, uh, you know, if he, if he does that, that would be chaos, you know, because here's what happens. It's like, if, if we get into the middle of a war in America, the, the, the power, the real great power that the Congress has, which they've mostly given to the bureaucracy now, is to supply the means for the war. So let's say you get into a war, and the, and they cut off the funding for the troops, and they're stuck over there on a battlefield somewhere, can't get home, can't get ammunition, right? That could happen. And the British Parliament has the same power. They can cut off supply all of the things that the government is doing if they want to. Now, will they do that? You know, we've had crazy congresses in America, and they seem to be getting crazier still, but they haven't done that. And uh, and so I don't know if they would do that. And I don't know if it could be, if, if because the parliament has voted, a, a law is in place now that uh, there is to be a three-month extension of the deadline on the British side. Well, you know the European Union is going to respect that because they don't want them to leave, and they want this torture to go on indefinitely. But it requires all twenty. Do anybody else.
1: It requires all 27 members of the EU to guarantee it, and Boris Johnson might be able to lure Poland into a veto of it. It's very fascinating. When we come back with Dr. Larry on president of Hillsdale College, probably the country's leading authority on this stuff. And if I... If I were the king of the forest, not queen, not duke, not earl, at any of the cable channels, I would put Dr. Arnon on for an hour every night to explain this because, honest to gosh, it is fascinating, as Chuck Todd and I discussed yesterday. Don't go anywhere, America. The Hillsdale Dialogue continues after this.
0: Putting it off again and again isn't going to make the political outcome of the eventual general election any easier for a great many colleagues in this House. And my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister... Uh, in his inimitable style is showing leadership and courage at last he is trying to resolve this issue um, leave and remain were the words on the ballot paper it, there wasn't any reference to a deal or no deal and there was no reference to a deal or no deal but the Prime Minister of the day made it quite clear that we would leave the European Union and this House has conspired again and again to delay that happening.
1: This house has conspired. Welcome back, America, it's Hugh Hewitt in the ReliefFactor.com studio, joined by Dr. Larry Arne, as we are for every last radio hour of the week for the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale are available at hillsdale.edu. I wish Dr. Arne would put together a very quickly a course in British parliamentary history, which I believe would be oversubscribed since not many people understand what is going on here. But I do believe what is going on here, Dr. Arndt, is very important for us because it goes back to another of your formulations. The central question of our times is whether the people shall run the government or the government shall run the people. And you just heard Member of Parliament Bernard Jenkin put it very bluntly that they are overthrowing the vote where it was remain or leave. They're just not doing it.
2: More British people voted to leave the European Union than have ever voted for anything more than ever voted for anything Winston Churchill you know anything uh and that that, you know whoever wins the next election the party that wins the next election won't get as many votes as leave got in that referendum campaign and the vote was 52 48 and that does establish that the country is divided but there's a majority and the, in, in the, the, the eternal question in politics is the question of justice. And in modern politics, that takes the form, will you have consent of the governed and equal rights for all? Well, the threat to that in our time is the substitution of a new kind of government in, of which the European Union is the supreme example. And that is a sort of administrative, bureaucratic, semi scientific form in which detailed things that affect close relations among people even in local places are worked out in the center by permanent officials, and that is transformation in American government you know if you if the form of a thing is what it looks like, well, the American government looks different than it did in in the early days because 90 percent of the laws are not made in the congress and those agencies about 150 of them that make them they did not exist until the last 50 years 60 years and so that's a change right and it's very difficult for the people to exercise effective ongoing control over that morass
1: but now i I believe in in great britain because of this confluence of events That very question is the only question that will come when an election comes. And I've heard, and we will play, Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson and Ian Duncan Smith and Jacob Rees-Mogg say again and again and again, that will be the question in this election. Labor will try and muck it up and they've gotten rid of the uh, austerity budget. They're gonna spend like uh, like drunken sailors on the Tory uh, benches. It's going to be the question. Isn't that good for politics generally, Larry Arn? It
2: is. And one prays because, you know, if you want to draw the dark scenario, the bright scenario is this. It's going to take another decision. Right. And and that's, you know, that's too bad. But that's the state of things. And remember what this means is the forces that favor remain are very powerful. They are. Right. There's a really great article by Christo, Christopher Caldwell in the Claremont Review of Books of late about all of this, and the thing is, the Democratic vote is just incredibly clear, but the people who are against it and they're and they're they're sophisticated and they're
3: tricky and, and I don't even and many,
2: they're rich, rich yeah and well placed, dominate the media and that's... So far, is enough to stand up to that popular
1: vote. We'll be back with uh, Nigel Farage, a uh, couple of quotes with his friend Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. When we return, all things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt in the ReliefFactor.com studio. This is the Hillsdale Dialogue, the last radio hour of the week, where we intend to give you the uh, the nutrition that you need, intellectual nutrition to get you through the weekend. Uh, usually, Dr. Larry Arn, as he is this week, is my guest. We were supposed to begin Homer this week, and we're going to do that next week unless the Brits confound us again and push themselves back into the American consciousness. But Dr. Arn is himself married to, I hope, a future peer of the United Kingdom. I've been <laughs> pushing. Did you tell Penny Arn that I've been pushing her for one of the new lords?
2: I informed her of that in front of a reception in Grand Rapids, Michigan, <laughs> Did where go- there were 450 people. Was there applause? She got all their votes. Okay, she got all their votes. <laughs> so
1: I'm, I'm, I am I'm. think Boris Johnson needs to pay attention to our recommendation. He's just a subject of the Queen and therefore eligible to be made a lifetime peer. Uh, and then you'd have to walk a step behind her, right? Something like that. I don't really know the etiquette. But in any yeah, of Yeah, that, it,
2: it, it would reduce me to a ridiculous place, I
1: kind I, of look forward to it. <laughs> I am hoping so much. I'm saying my prayers, not only for the North Carolinian, uh, Carolinians being hit by Dorian, but for the uh, peerage of... Uh, of Mrs. Arndt I am um, I'm curious about before I play the tape of Nigel Farage your estimate of him I know he's been to Hillsdale's campus uh, he is one of those unusual characters who appears when politics is broken uh, not unlike a number of people in 2016 people you would not have heard of before in the United States uh, and another one being Jacob Rees-Mogg who's now the leader of the House of Commons who who appeared again from great wealth and et cetera but nigel farage is very much a man of the people what is your assessment of him
2: well he was in hillsdale for two or three days and i talked to him quite a lot while he was here that's how i know him and of course follow him in the press but i am uh, i i love a thing about him for which he's not famous and that is his restraint uh, <laughs> he, he, he's not trying to leverage all of this into him being prime minister he, he, wants, he wants to leave the European Union. And he thinks for the sake of his nation, for its sovereignty, for its greatness, for its history, they need to leave, leave. and for consent of the governed, right? And so he just made that his purpose. And you know, when he, when he, he more than any living person, provoked the, the vote on Brexit, he made David Cameron do it effectively because he was bleeding away Tory support than 60% of its constituencies. I mean, that's death, right? And And, and so so Cameron called the referendum confident it would lose and doing everything in his power. I mean, it was a major campaign to, you know, this is from the government, from the Tories, and there was no big political party that was keen for Brexit, only UKIP, uh, Farage's party, the United Kingdom Independence Party. And then voted to to go. That astonished the world, except Nigel Farage. And then Nigel Farage stepped back from politics, right? I did that thing I wanted to do. That's enough. Well, he's back now, and he's back because they're betraying the vote. And he is the whip that is preventing the conservatives, uh, you know, to go easily into the night of betraying this vote. Because it's a terror, you know, we don't, I myself pray for an election. It's time for an election. But the second thing is, I pray for clarity to come in that election.
1: And he has founded another new party. UKIP is no longer his party. He's founded the Brexit party. Now, I want to play for you two clips of him talking to the BBC on Wednesday, about his attitude towards this election that Larry Arnold and I both pray comes. Nigel Farage on the BBC talking about his Brexit party. First of all, it's ready to run all over the country. Cut number 16.
3: At this point, are you, what, looking to field candidates? Every What, what, are, you, what are you planning? We've got 630 candidates on the approval list, vetted, raring to go. I've been out round the country talking to them today. We are ready. We're organised, we're funded, we're ready to go. But, and I'll say it again, If Boris Johnson decides that he wants to go for a clean break Brexit, we will work together with him in a non-aggression pact. And between us, we'll win the election.
1: What does that mean?
3: He explained cut number 15. He's made this decision that he has to deliver Brexit. He's sacked 21 of his own MPs that were effectively Remainers. Um, He cannot win an election whenever it comes if the Brexit party stands against him. So at some point, that conversation will happen.
0: Very interesting to hear that. What are you going to offer him?
3: Oh, very simple. I mean, there are parts of the country where just putting up a Brexit Party candidate means his candidates will lose. Now, if Boris Johnson makes the decision that Mrs May's withdrawal agreement is not going to be seriously amended in Brussels, that actually it's a rotten deal for the country, and that the only way forward with this is to go for a clean break Brexit, to do it, to leave, to be independent and get on with the rest of our lives. If he reaches that conclusion, there are lots of seats in the country where he faces the challenge from the Lib Dems, uh, particularly in the West Country, areas like that. And I would say, look... Boris, we won't stand against you in those areas. In fact, far from it, we'll support you. We'll campaign for you to win those seats. But equally, I was in South Yorkshire last night in Doncaster. Areas where big leave vote, represented by Labour MPs who are now Remainers and won a second referendum, where we're the only challenger to Labour in those areas. And equally, we would not want the Conservatives to stand there.
0: So is it, how would you describe
1: that? um, A non-aggression
3: pact. A non-aggression pact. So it is a pact. It's a deal. It's a deal, of course it is, and I think it's a very logical deal. If you put the support of Boris Johnson's conservatives and the Brexit party together, the truth is, in a general election, with a clear policy, we'd be unstoppable. Do you agree with that, Larry Arn? Uh
2: Well, it, 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 maybe, uh, but I certainly agree with the strategy. Because uh, what, what I don't know, and, and what I expect Nigel Farage does not know, and nobody knows, is... The overlap between the Tory vote and the Brexit Party vote is extensive. And so putting them together might not add much in many places, at least. But he's making a point about certain districts and uh, understand what they are there. He just said two kinds. There are labor seats where there was a big leave vote and Tories don't do well in those seats. And there are uh, uh, Tory seats. Where the lib, liberal Democrats are strong, Lib Dems he called them, and and they they are lever they are remainers sorry, and so if the if the uh, Brexit Party came in and campaigned hard for the Conservative Party, it might pick up some votes. So that's his strategy, and I will say about the strategy that it is hallowed, including implemented by two people named Churchill. Okay. <laughs> so,
1: so, but it what has up? not yet been formalized by Boris Johnson, right? He has purged his party, has thrown 21 remainers off the Tory bus, as you noted in the first segment, but he has not yet sat down. And it seemed to me that, that Nigel Farage was demanding no deal, uh, not just saying we'll support you, but he's demanding a clean break. Did you hear it that way?
2: yeah but uh i don't think that matters because that's where we are and uh and the truth is there will be no deal unless no deal is imminent right in other words they're not going to they're you know if the conservative party had run its business more artfully they would have started talking about the fact that we're a big financial center and you need our money and and, and about how we buy lots of BMWs and, and, uh, and uh, Mercedes, and that we have a big trade deficit with you, and we are the sixth largest economy in the world and the second largest in Europe. And so it's in your interest to make out a deal. No deal is okay, right? We, we can live with that. wonder if you can. See? If they had done their business the way they should, And and there's a reason why they didn't, and that is they didn't really want to go.
1: They didn't, and that is why Ian Duncan Smith, an honorable man, I want to play his tape. Former leader of the Conservative Party, now a member of Parliament on the backbenches, said this on Wednesday. Cut number nine.
4: Uh, How can people who have been voting for the Brexit Party, of course, won the European elections just a few months ago? How can they trust the Tories to deliver? Well, yeah, trust is the issue at the moment. I think. Uh, said earlier on that this is, I think this has become a shameful parliament, really, in a sense, having voted overwhelmingly, as uh, the public voted to, to, to leave. And then, uh, you know, let's remind everybody that overwhelmingly uh, the parliament voted uh, to endorse that, overwhelmingly to trigger Article 50, and uh, 80% of the public ended up voting for parties that said they would stand by the result of the referendum and the 2017 election. Now, Labour has completely reneged on that. Uh, and what's happened now is that there's a bunch of people who simply don't want us to leave. So, uh, one way or the other, uh, they have to put up now, and as they've now identified themselves as absolutely not wanting us to leave and putting us back under control of the EU, I think this becomes inevitably a battle uh, which will be fought out if we lose this today in the country with the simple question. Do you want a parliament that acts on what the public given the right to decide or do you want a parliament that says i don't really give a damn about you were more important and i make the single simple point at the end of this which is there's been this row about parliamentary sovereignty parliamentary sovereignty is a load of nonsense at the end of the day the public the people are sovereign and they lend parliament their sovereignty during uh, after an election but they can, when they're given it back they have the right to make that decision we are not sovereign to deny that we are only okay. sovereign in the sense we represent them. We must, must deliver on that referendum result. That is
1: their sovereignty. Doc, Doctor Arn, do you agree with Ian Duncan Smith? Well, that was Nigel Farage. Oh, was that? That was, was that Ian Duncan, Duncan Smith. Smith. Yep.
2: Okay, sounds like Nigel Farage. Well, first of all, he's of course he's great. I happen to know him. You know, he's a he's among other things a very distinguished soldier from one of the guards regiments. But uh, uh, and I once went on a midnight tour of. Of the House of Commons and Westminster Hall with him. Oh, you're
1: making me envious.
2: Oh, he was just moving. He just knows the story of the, you know the Westminster Hall is the oldest part of the Palace of Westminster, and that's where you know Thomas More was tried and Anne Boleyn was tried. You know, it's great history there, <laughs> you know, kind of like now, and uh, and so he just has a great reverence for that. And he should. In fact, everyone in the world who believes in freedom should have a great reverence for that place. And it's to restore the authority of that place. that, as a, and, and for the reason he said, right, that is to say it is the first place in which a, a major nation, modern nation, popular majorities got control. Although I have to caveat that just a little bit because their electoral system became inclusive to to the right to the necessary extent well after
1: ours did. True. We're the first. We're the first. We'll be right back to conclude this about the election that is coming, whether soon or late, is going to be fought by Boris Johnson. We will get an assessment of his abilities on the hustings from Dr. Larry Arnn. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue, all things Hillsdale, found at hillsdale.edu all of these previous conversations collected at Hugh for Hillsdale.com. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt in the ReliefActor.com studio talking with Dr. Larry Arn in the Hillsdale Dialogue, which is uh, will be hopefully at Homer next week. We're supposed to begin there this week. All things Hillsdale, including your opportunity to subscribe to Imprimus for free, the speech digest that will arrive in your mailbox, and you can actually hold it and read it, is available at hillsdale.edu. All their online courses and all these... Conversations are collected at Hugh for Dr. Arne on Thursday's Times of London, Lord Lendon wrote a piece, never do appeal. It still haunts the party today. He said that Boris Johnson is an accomplished classicist, prefers ancient Greece to famous Tory thinkers. He looks back in a world in which heroes thought resounding victories over their adversaries, ready to do or die. In some cases, though, their fate was to be exiled to remote bleak islands. It's impossible to think of any previous Tory leader who would ever have contemplated expelling more than 20 MPs. The only great split the party has suffered was in 1846 when 220 conservatives abandoned Sir Robert Peel to vote against him over the repeal of the Corn Laws. Peel's hundred-odd loyalists operated independently for a time before merging with the liberals under the right wing Palmerston that comprised most of the best brains of the party including Peel's protege Gladstone and for 30 years the conservatives were unable to win a Commons majority has Boris Johnson committed an error of that great historical significance in your assessment Larry Arn? Uh well of
2: course I, I don't. I don't know what its significant. What its effects are going to be. None of us does. But uh, uh, what he's done is, in my opinion, the only way through. Because the bad news is, the Brexit vote is not going to go away, and the party that called for that vote and the party in control that promised to abide by that vote is going to be fundamentally damaged if it doesn't abide by that vote. And so. Uh, the Theresa May deal that was worked out with with uh, uh, the EU was not really a leave. Indeed, it it left them extensively in the European Union, and it and it, it erected further barriers ever to leave. It left it entirely in the discretion of the EU whether the arrangements could be changed, and it and it. Uh, left it in the hands of the European court to arbitrate disputes under the thing. And so that's not leave. Well, it, it, it's complicated enough, but it can sound like leave. And so she worked that out. Right. But that didn't fly because too many people called it out and remember the vote and actually want to leave. So the point is he, he's doing and that means that if they dither through this, you know, because there are two options now, either there'll be a clear vote and they will leave. And my guess is that if it becomes apparent that they're going to leave no matter what, then they'll get an arrangement that will be good. But either a clear vote's going to deliver that or we're going to dither for ages. And that is going to compromise the health of the conservative party more than the others. Because they're responsible for this and above all because they draw their support from the great the people who are attached to the great traditions of England not only from people like that but heavily from people who are like that they are Tories
1: so I believe in in the province and I also believe there are people who are not Tories who are committed to the idea that Parliament ought to do what they're told by the people and that you will see a combined I could be completely wrong like you are admitting to doubt I think if you take a traditional Tory lever and you add to them those who are disgusted with labor for betraying its commitment to leave you may have a non-enduring but very powerful 2016 in America kind of cohesion of disparate forces I don't know that that's ever happened on the conservative side in Great britain's political history, maybe Disraeli in the reform election, but uh, what do you think
2: well uh, you know first of all, <coughs> all political parties in in free countries seek to build enduring majorities in free countries. all the decent parties are for stability, and you know we don't get any anymore, but you could see how that could even become enduringly stable right because the, the all the parties in Britain and America for that matter are social welfare policies. They believe in social safety net, right? And we argue only about how big should it be and how should it work. Uh, And so, the old ground of the Labor Party, the Socialist Party, is deeply undercut by that. And, you know, Corbyn, trying to, you know, recover their mojo, he's very left, you know. He's more for ownership of stuff by the government. So the point is, there's a party to be formed on hopes and praise, and that's the only way I see out of this, in Britain and America, by the way, that is in favor of equality and, and the social safety net, but also enterprise and private property and limited government under the forms of the Constitution.
1: Yeah, you know, well, they, they do have the to put out a manifesto, don't they? Does Boris Johnson have to put out a manifesto if they go to an election? Yeah. That manifest. He's already putting it out. Jacob rees Mogg will be ha- It will just be a beauty, a thing of beauty to read. Dr. Larry Arn, thank you again. I think you ought to be on every network every night talking about this because nobody else understands it. I'm glad this audience does. The Hillsdale Dialogue will be posted at hughforhillsdale.com. I'll talk to you all on Monday, America, on the next Hugh Hewitt show.